Well, I wanted to maybe start with a little picture of who I was as a child, just in case you might not know who I am. And so here is a picture of me. I know, right? I'm really cute. <laughs> I know, I don't look, I look like such a nice kid. I feel I look well-behaved, put together. I've got my school uniform on from when I was in uh, primary school. And you might think that I was a child who maybe listened really well and was attentive and never caused any trouble. And that was the case when I was at school, but when I was at home, it was a completely different story. It was like I was a little bit of a menace, actually. It was like I was a lot a bit of a menace. My parents were always frustrated with me. I would never listen. I would always just do my own thing. And often I would run and hide because I thought it was funny. I would run away on the streets. I would run away in stores. I would run away in the park. I would hide behind couches like no one could see me or in clothing racks while my mom was shopping at the department store. And even when my parents called, I would book it so fast in the opposite direction that they ended up needing to put a leash on me to tether me to them so I wouldn't get too far away. The problem with this running is that I was also quite accident prone. So no matter what I did, how, no matter how far or fast or how slow I went, I somehow always ended up hurting myself. I'd fall down and hurt myself. And sometimes it was so bad that we would have to go straight to the emergency at the hospital. And I was probably there so frequently, it feels like I know the doctors by name because that's how much I went. I could describe the number of scars that I've attained, uh, that I've got from that. But every time I fell down, without fail, I would end up crying and my arms would shoot up in the sky as a gesture indicating to my parents to lift me up and comfort me. As they would hold me and held me, they'd tell me, you need to be more careful, which I always agreed to in the moment. And then about 30 seconds later, I forgot it completely and was off doing the same thing again. And many of us have probably seen this with our kids, right? The children that are in our lives. As adults, we watch these kids explore the world. And sometimes they do dangerous things and we will try to tell them to slow down and be careful because we don't want them to feel hurt or hurt themselves. And we want to protect them and keep them safe. But that child will rarely fully pay attention when they're having fun or off doing something exploratory and they no won't listen. And then inevitably this thing happens and they fall down. And if it's scary, and if they hurt themselves, you'll hear them cry out for comfort. They'll lift their hands up, gesturing to be picked up, to be held, to be comforted, and for the adult to just help make the pain go away. And whether or not you are upset because the child wasn't listening originally, because they were hurt, your knee-jerk reaction, you want to just care for them. You want to bring them in close. Whenever we fall down, whether it's physically or metaphorically, even if it is because we made the choice ourselves, we end up crying out in some way. We need to be comforted, needing to be lifted up in some way. 
And maybe when life has gotten too challenging and the circumstances we face are just too hard, we can find ourselves hitting rock bottom. And it can feel like nothing will get easier and that we are in absolute darkness. And so we cry out, hoping that we will be lifted up and comforted. Today, we're going to continue our series on the book of Jonah, A Frustrated Life. And this book offers an honest examination of our reluctance to trust God, but God's unfathomable grace to surprising people in surprising places. And as we continue our journey today through the story of Jonah, we look at Jonah chapter 2 specifically. And if you were to think of this as a play or a movie or even the story that it is, this would be considered like the end of Act 2. Act 3 is chapters 3 and 4, and we'll hear about those in the next few weeks. And here we find Jonah, after running, falls down, down into the depths of the sea, hitting rock bottom, which is where Jonah finally cries out to God to lift him back up. So let me read the chapter for us, and then I'll pray. And I'll start at Jonah 1, chapter, seven, or chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, in other translations, it says belly of Sheol, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again toward your temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head, and to the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for these words today. We thank you for this prayer that Jonah prays. May you open all of our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us. In your name, amen. So here's a quick recap of what we learned last week when we looked at Jonah 1. Here we have a man, Jonah. Jonah named God's prophet. 
God has asked Jonah to go to Nineveh to speak on behalf of God to bring healing and redemption to these people. And Jonah's knee-jerk reaction is to go in the opposite direction to the end of the known world and run far, far away to Tarshish. He's on a boat of pagan sailors. And in the middle of this storm that he finds himself in, Jonah then tells these men to throw him overboard and they do it. And now we find Jonah falling down into the depths of the sea. And then all of a sudden, this great fish swallows him up for three days and three nights. Now, before we can go probably any further, it's probably helpful to just name that many people like to debate whether this Jonah story is fact or fiction. I mean, it's a compelling idea to think of all of the whales that could maybe swallow us up, right? And these studies have been done about whales and these great fish and potentially ones that could swallow a man. Many who believe that the story is real have concluded that this sea creature that is described is most likely a sperm whale. These are giant whales with big mouths, a large esophagus or a large enough esophagus for a human, and they have multiple stomachs, four to be exact. There are even stories of men being swallowed by whales temporarily, like this guy. In 1891, there was a story of a whaler named James Bartley who reportedly fell into the sea while harpooning a large sperm whale. He was swallowed by it and survived in its stomach. He was only pulled out 36 hours later when some other whalers were cutting the now dead whale open and found James inside. Shocking. (laughs) Apparently, years later when he died, James's tombstone says, James Bartley, a modern Jonah. (laughs) No matter the belief or theory that you may have about this great fish, this story isn't actually about this sea monster. It's actually a story to tell us who God is, that God's love and grace has no bounds, that it can and will stretch all the way to the depths of the sea and to the furthest darkest places in our lives. And hopefully today, we will see how God's grace meets us when we fall down into these dark places. And how when we cry out to God, he helps lift us up into the light. One of the themes in this book is this word down that's repeated a number of times. In chapter one, it's repeated four times. And here we're told that Jonah just went down. Then in chapter two, the metaphor is pushed even further as Jonah is falling down off the boat, is swallowed by a whale, and literally taken down, down, down to the bottom of the sea. Jonah, this prophet of God, with a task from God, literally falls down so deep that he hits rock bottom, which Jonah himself describes in verse six, As to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. As a prophet and a man of faith, Jonah fell down. For many of us, we often don't think that with our faith that we can fall down and we can hit rock bottom, but the truth is, sometimes it does happen. 
But Jonah fell down, hit rock bottom, and was in one of these darkest places in his life. He personally, spiritually, and physically hit rock bottom. He ran away from God, was shown to be selfish and self-righteous, and now lay in the belly of a fish at the bottom of the sea. And he uses these intense metaphors to describe his discomfort, referencing Sheol, or the realm of the dead, to suggest that being inside this sea creature is like being in hell itself. And this is how Jonah then chooses to describe his feelings of hitting rock bottom. As I read these next few passages, maybe try to imagine in your own mind if you've ever felt any of these feelings before. Starting at verse 3. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head and to the roots of the mountains, I just sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. Maybe if I was to translate that for us, it's like Jonah is saying, I've suddenly been thrown into pain and struggle. And it's so difficult for me to feel grounded or even just catch my breath. It feels like something is just walking all over me and that I'm being trampled. I mean, I feel like I've lost a significant friend and a relationship. And this feeling is overwhelming. It's in over my head. It feels like I'm being surrounded by hostility and conflict and there are these tensions in my brain and I'm worried that I will never get out of it and I will be stuck in this forever. Have you experienced anything like that before? Have you experienced maybe one of those things before? Maybe you've experienced more than one which isn't like a claim to fame, but I know I have, so we have that. Honestly, no one ever really wants to hit rock bottom because it's hard to sit at the very lowest and darkest and painful places in our lives. And yet, I'm sure that many of us here today have experienced challenging, hard, difficult, dark moments. Moments when you feel like you just can't climb out or that like you're drowning inside. Moments that might feel overwhelming and absolutely surreal. And even when you're there, you maybe tell yourself, There's no way that this could possibly get any worse. And unfortunately, the reality is sometimes it does. There's something more difficult that just comes. Are you feeling like you've hit rock bottom today? Or that you're in some type of darkness right now? How far do you feel like you've fallen down. Sometimes in these moments, they can take a long time to get through, to be lifted up. 
And to sit in it for a long time makes it even harder to try and find the light. And for Jonah, he was in the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. And that might feel like either like a short time or a long time for you. But no matter what that timeline is, falling down, hitting rock bottom in our darkest places, that changes our life. It changes our posture. With Jonah, God needed to minister to him. And so he sends this great fish to get him to be in a place where Jonah would finally turn back to God and raise his hands up towards him. And as the great fish travels deeper and deeper into the darkness of the sea, this is when Jonah finally falls down and hits rock bottom. In surprise, shock, fear, Jonah is dragged to the depths and then changes his posture finally. He chooses to cry out to God. I imagine him with his hands in the air in these moments. The start of Jonah's prayer talks about this crying out. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help or cried out for help, and you listened to my cry. It's in this action of being swallowed by a whale, something that God did to minister to Jonah, to force Jonah's hand from running away in the opposite direction. And it's in this moment that his first words from the deep are cried out for help. It was like he was saying, I know I've run away. I know I've fallen down. But I do not know how to get out of this. And I don't think I can do this on my own. When I think of Jonah, I can't help but think of the many different tales about a person fighting a sea creature. And we love different tales and stories and fantasy, fun for me. It contains the similarities of these many other stories from mythology, from different cultures, from that era, from that time. Like in Phoenician mythology, it, you, we hear stories of tales of men swallowed by beasts of the sea who fight their way out. Or Roman and Greek stories that talk of a fight between a man and a whale and the man surviving in the belly of this beast. The ancient Greek god Heracles survived an encounter with a great beast of the sea. He battles him fiercely before being devoured by that animal. Heracles then is survived for three days in this belly of the beast and fought his way out. Even Hercules, the Roman god, had a similar story. And in more recent depictions, we have the story of Pinocchio where Pinocchio and his cronies were swallowed by a whale and then later spit out because of his bravery and honesty. Though Jonah and Pinocchio are different stories, they both technically find redemption in the belly of the whale. The way they do it, though, is different. Pinocchio proves himself by risking his life to travel deep into the depths to save his father, while Jonah over here ultimately cries out to God for a second chance to prove himself worthy and to fulfill God's plan. 
In fact, as I read through so many of these stories and tales and mythologies around man versus sea beast, I noticed something interesting. In every story, it was the character who fought their way out. They did it all on their own. They didn't cry out for help. They didn't need anybody else. Each one of them fought to be self-sufficient. And maybe that's something important for us to make note of today. I think sometimes when we're in our darkest places, when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel like we've hit rock bottom, we can have this posture that we must overcome the challenge only on our own. And maybe you've said phrases like this, I know I have, I have to do this on my own. Or I got myself into this mess, so I need to pull myself out of it. Or I don't want to burden anyone else, and so I'll just do it. I'll just do it. Those are fair and valid thoughts. But then I have this other thought in the back of my mind that sometimes we're also going to inevitably fall down deeper and deeper into the darkness because God is trying to minister to us in a way that we may not fully understand. There's this interesting thing that as Jonah falls into this ocean, into this sea, there's a storm brewing. I don't know if Jonah would have survived in the waters. And yet God sends this fish, this great fish, to swallow him up and take him deeper. Even in the deepest places, God is present with him. God is protecting him. God is letting him be safe in some way. And maybe God is then also hoping that we will cry out for help and comfort. And that's kind of what I believe we're meant to learn from this chapter of Jonah. That doesn't really matter how far you run or how far you fall down if you've actually hit rock bottom. You can still cry out for help and God will listen and he will hear you because you still deserve to be comforted because he is gracious and he is merciful and he so deeply, deeply loves you. This year hasn't been easy for some of my closest friends. We've sat through miscarriages, deaths, job loss and conflicts, financial strains, feelings of deep-seated loneliness, sudden health crises, languishing mental health. It's been a really tough season, layer upon layer upon layer of sitting in some of our darkest places with each other. Together we've been scared, angry, frustrated, sad, and have had feelings that God has abandoned us in these moments. And for each one of these darkest places that we found ourselves, where we've fallen down, whether it was because it was circumstantial or because we were the reason that we got ourselves into that mess, we could easily have given up. We could have tried to fix it all on our own, to try and fight through it, to defeat that sea creature and save ourselves. But instead of fighting, possibly because we were feeling so worn down and tired, which is a blessing. We actually chose and choose to cry out to God for each one of these issues, 
And we continue to cry out to God now because we haven't been lifted out of them. And it's only this way that we know that we will be lifted up because we can't actually do this on our own. Sitting in dark places can be difficult. But I'm so grateful that as Jesus' people, that we have this ability to offer care, prayer, support. So we don't have to feel alone in it or fight our darkest places on our own. That we can be with people who deeply see and love us and care for each other well. So that ultimately we can help each other cry out to God to help and to be comforted and lifted up when we need. In the last verse of Jonah 2, verse 10, it reads, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Jonah has just cried out to God for help. He talked about how thankful he is to know that God can hear him, even within the depths of the darkest places. He knows that God will help him. And in response to this prayer, because of God's mercy and grace, he saves Jonah. It isn't Jonah's strength and ability of his own accord that saves him. It's actually God's. And God lifts Jonah up from the depths of the sea and commands this fish to vomit Jonah onto dry land, bringing Jonah back into the light. I'm not going to lie that the thought of being inside a fish for three days is like absolutely disgusting to me and absolutely terrifying. And then I think about like the smell of what it would be like to sit in a fish for three days makes me like nauseous and squeamish and gross. And then to have to think that like I would be vomited up, my reaction is like, nope, no thank you, I'm okay, I don't want this, I'll stay in the whale. Uh, I have no desire, and this might seem maybe a little grosser, but to like be mixed in with whatever a fish wants to throw up Absolutely nasty. That's not fun to me. And I'm sure Jonah would have much preferred a different method of being brought back onto the land. But God had a purpose in this. And to be fair, I think sometimes we don't have much of a choice about how we will be lifted up out of the darkness. How we will get to come up out of our dark places and these rock bottom moments. And yet, we can trust God that he will do just that even if it isn't the way we would like it to be, even if it isn't how we imagined it to be. In his book, A Grace Disguised, Jerry Sitzer, or Gerald Sitzer, recalls the darkest day of his life. One day, Jerry and his family went on a field trip together to learn about First Nations culture in America. Jerry, his wife, his two oldest children, and his mother drove together in their family minivan. They visited a reservation in rural Ohio, watched a ceremonial dance, and had dinner with the local uh, tribe. After dinner, his children were feeling quite exhausted, and so they packed their family back into the van and drove home. Along the way, there was a man who was drunk and driving 85 miles per hour on the road. He crossed the center line and smashed into their van. The crash killed three generations of women, his mother, his wife, his eldest daughter. 
In the moments after the accident, Jerry wrote, that initial deluge of loss slowly gave way over the next months to the steady seepage of pain that comes when grief, like floodwaters refusing to subside, finds every crack and crevice of the human spirit to enter and erode. I thought that I was going to lose my mind. I was overwhelmed with depression. The foundation of my life was close to caving in. Jerry wrestled with questions of God's goodness, God's existence, until one night he lay in bed. And he had this dream where he and his three children stood in the field near the scene of this accident. And the four of them just watched as the minivan came around the curve and the oncoming vehicle crossed the center line and crashed into their vehicle. And this is what he said about what he saw in his dream. We witnessed the violence, the pandemonium, and the death, just as we had experienced it in real life. Suddenly, a beautiful light enveloped the scene. It illuminated everything. The light forced us to see in greater detail the destruction of the accident, but it also enabled us to see the presence of God in that place. I knew that in that moment, that God was there at the accident and that God was there to welcome our loved ones into heaven and that God was there to comfort us and that God was there to send those of us who survived in a new direction. Our falling down moments, our darkest places, can actually be places where we see that Christ is with us. In Jesus, we see that God doesn't remain distant and aloof and far from us and far from our pain and our lowest places and our suffering, but he continues, he has chosen and still continues to choose to come down into these rock bottom places, into these dark moments of our life and meet us there always listening, always wanting to hear our cries. And though for Jonah, it only took three days until he was lifted up from these depths, for many of us, it may feel like we're in these depths and those dark places for just so much longer, longing for God to rescue us, longing for God to lift us up out of the darkness and back onto this dry land. Last week, Dan Whitehead offered this really beautiful and helpful picture of Christ being lower still in the depths, called Christ of the abyss. And the brilliance of this is that it just reminds us that Christ supports us, that he sacrificed more than we can imagine, that he's suffered more than we can imagine, and yet he is there with arms still raised up seeking to support us, to love us, and to carry us. But Christ is not just in the depths with us. He's also able to reach down into the water to help lift us up, lift lift us up onto dry land. And even in the depths and the darkness of life, whether we've made choices to get us there or not, God's love and care 
is for us. And it's so great that he has eyes on each and every one of us, that he sees us. And his arm is extended, reaching out, wanting to save us, to lift, lift us up out of those depths of our darkest places and moments. Korean artist Young Sung Kim painted this image called Hand of God. It's considered one of his greatest works of arts. It's a picture of Jesus standing on water, but he's, you see him with a slight smile, a gentleness, and a brightness. And Jesus' hand is now reaching into and through the water. And it's coming from this perspective of a person underwater, underneath this water break. And Kim hopes that as we look at this picture, as we take it in, that we see ourselves as the ones under the water. When we've fallen down into these darkest places, it can make us feel like there is no way out. But no water is too deep, no mistake is too great for Christ to be with you because he is lower still with arms raised up to you, wanting to support you and care for you. But maybe it's a blend of those two images that we just saw. Maybe it's Christ underneath us, supporting us, and Christ above us, lifting us up. Christ teaching us, us and showing us that we can look up, we can lift our hands, and we can cry out for God. And Christ also hearing, reaching down, listening from the heights, from the dry land, wanting to lift us up. We know that God is with us. Sometimes we can feel it. And when we might not know, maybe we can trust that God is there. And maybe, just maybe, if we can trust that he will do all of that, our posture after falling down and crying out naturally turns into a posture with raised hands into the depths, grabbing hold of this hand of God. Let me pray. Jesus, we are so honored that you meet us in the depths that no matter how we find ourselves there, that you come to us, that you hear us, and that you love us. And so even today, as we might be feeling like we've hit rock bottom, like we might be feeling like we're in the dark, may you reach your hand of love, of grace, of mercy, down to lift us up and into the light. Amen.